1 verse 19. That's the key to this book. When you think about revelation and people think about visions and symbols and all kinds of uh, uh, allegorical things, there is a key to the book to keep in mind. That key is, if you want to jot it down, is uh, Revelation 119. And this is what that verse says. God speaking to John, he said, write these things down. Therefore, he says, write which you, the things which you have seen. We're going to see that today. Then he says, now write the things which are presently. And then write the things which will take place after these things. The whole book of Revelation is this, everyone. Real easy. John says in chapter 119, God said to him, write the things which you see. Chapter 1. That's what he saw. What did he see? Yeshua. Because the whole book's about Yeshua. You, You know what's unique about this book? This is pretty cool, I think. Yeshua reveals everything in the book of Revelation. But, What is he revealing in the book of Revelation? Himself. He's the revealer, and he's the... Yeah, okay. Reveals. Good, thank you, good, thank you. I I need that help. Anyway, so so he's saying, chapter 1, John, write what you saw. And we're going to see today what he saw. Then he tells John, write the things present. And that present was probably from the death, burial, resurrection of Yeshua until... Until the tribulation period. That's chapters 2 and 3. We're going to get into that. Then he says, then write the things which will take place after these things. That's chapter 4 to the end of the book. The things which will take place. That's the future. Actually, chapter 4, in a sense, through 19, is the whole tribulation period in the future. And then chapters uh, 21 and 22 is the eternal state. That's your outline for the book. Things which he saw things which are present, the things which will take place, tribulation and eternal state. That's the key to the whole book. Last time when we met, last time when we talked about Revelation, we did the first eight verses. It's somewhere in the tapes. You can find it. Uh, you can get it. It's, uh, we have it online. Uh, but we did Revelation chapter 1 through, uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. And I basically said, we are to listen to the thing God God spoke to us, listen to his word, and lift up Yeshua. So I'll review, just so we get back on track. Listen to what I'm telling you, and lift up Yeshua. And the listening part was very interesting, because he was saying God is speaking to us, and in those first couple verses, it tells us God the Father revealed things to the Son. And the Son revealed things to his angel, which most likely is Gabriel. And Gabriel revealed those things to John. And John is speaking to us. That's how God was speaking. I said, the Father spoke to the Son. The Son spoke to Gabriel. Gabriel spoke to John. John speaks to us in the form of the seven congregations in chapter 2 and 3. As John speaks to these seven congregations, in chapter 2 and 3, that's the things which are presently going on. And we'll deal with them. It's really, really exciting to deal with those seven congregations. But I also said in this first eight verses, it's all about Yeshua and us lifting him up, who he is. 
As we said, he's the revealer. He reveals all things to us. And I said very easily, very quickly, I said in those first eight verses, who Yeshua is. Write these three things down. It's all review. The first three things is Yeshua tells us in those first eight verses, he is the faithful witness, which is important in the book of Revelation. Because he's telling us the faithful witness. Everyone look up here. Everyone look up here. Don't write it down now. I'm a witness for Yeshua. You're a witness for you. We're all witnesses. And we say things that are right and wrong and not, but there is one faithful witness. He is the one who reveals the Father. He is the one who reveals everything to us. Yeshua is the faithful witness. So there was three things. He's the faithful witness. Second, I said, he's, it says the firstborn. It's all in the first eight verses. The firstborn or the resurrection. He's the first. He's the one before everybody else. He's the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in him shall live even if he dies. Yeshua is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn. And he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that's important in Revelation because while Rome is at their height almost, almost at the height of their rule, uh, when John wrote this, John wrote it about 90 CE, common era. For some of you, it's AD, same thing. Uh, probably Rome reached its zenith at, uh, in about 120, 130 under Hadrian. So it's telling us Yeshua is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn and he is the ruler of everybody. Even though you see Rome and even though you see we're being oppressed, He's the, second, I, I said about Yeshua, what he does. And very quickly, he loves us, it said. He released us from our sins. The idea of loving forever. He released us from all our sins. And he has made you and I a kingdom, given us a kingdom and priests. We are, kingdom, we are kings and not kings, but a kingdom and priests. That's what he's done. Those are the first eight verses. Now we get on to what, as I said before, the things that John saw. Chapter 1, verses uh, right now, uh, 8 or 9, what verse are we on today? Yeah, 9 through 20, is John had a vision. He saw things. And that's what we see. And what he saw was Yeshua. And so John's going to tell us. Now, I do want to say this with that. Before I became a believer, years ago, now it's about 43 and a half years ago. Before I became a believer, I saw the world one way. My life was one way. Really, and I, and I say this with all, as nice as I can say it, I had no clue. And all of you who are non-believers, you see the world in one way, and you have no clue. You think you do, you don't. Because only knowing Yeshua can put life into proper perspective. Who told me this morning? Where is it? Ah, you told me that. Life without Yeshua is like dribbling a football. (laughs) Yeah, I got it in even before you realized. That was it. Okay. There's no rhyme or reason. You can't put life together without Yeshua. And before I became a believer, I saw things one way. After I became a believer, everything's changed. My whole life has changed once I I knew something different. And John's going to tell us that. He's going to have a vision and see. Before Yeshua couldn't see, now I do. And thinking about this, I thought of Mitch Glazer. I thought of Michael Radelnik. I thought of Jonathan Burnus. I thought of Michael Brown. When they get up, when you hear Jonathan or Michael Brown or any of them, not so much Radelnik, but when you hear that, you hear a comedy show sometimes because they tell you what life was like before they were saved. 
Then they tell you what life is like after they're saved. Before you're saved, you don't have a clue. And there's no telling what you could do. It's like trying to predict where little children are going to run. There's no clue. But after you come to Messiah, you have an idea. Things start falling into place. And I love, I, I, I love in the book of John, chapter 9, the man who was blind, who Yeshua healed in the pool of Siloam. You go with me and I'll preach it, the pool of Siloam. But that man who was born blind, the rabbis come to him and say, how can you see? He says, well, Yeshua healed me, now I can see. They said, oh, well, we don't believe you were blind. Let's call his parents in. They call his parents in. Hey, who's this? Is this your son? They said, yeah, it's our son. They said, well, how can he see? They said, well, we know he's born blind. We know this is our son. How he can see? We don't know. They said, let's call him in again. So they call the guy in again. The man was born blind, and he sees. He said, tell us how you could see. He goes, I told you. He says, you want to hear it again? They say, you know nothing. Then he says something great. The man born blind. This is what he says. And it's you and me. He says this. One thing I do know. They said you know nothing. You're born in your sins. You're, you're wicked. You're godless. You're not a rabbi. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a Sadducee. You're not a leader. You know nothing. He says one thing I know. That where I, whereas I was blind, now I see. That's a cool line, isn't it? It really is. Whereas we were once blind and knew nothing. Then he opened our eyes and he taught us about God and life. Not that we have all the answers, but God spoke to us. Second Corinthians 5, follow along. For the love of Messiah, God's love that saved us, controls us, changes our life. It controls us once we come in to understand the Messiah. By the way, I'm going to side note here. Side note. You can't know God. You can't know about the spiritual things of God without Yeshua telling you about it. You can't tell me I know God. You can't tell me you have a relationship with God because you don't. You just don't. You might be a holy, holy man. You might be pure and you might pray a lot. You might read things and you might, as Jewish people daven, they say their prayers. You might know a lot of things. You might be brilliant. But one thing you don't know is God. Because you can't know God just by studying. It's a spiritual thing that he does. And so the love of God is what changes our lives, opens our eyes. Love of God, having concluded this, Paul says, Rabbi Saul, that one died for all, Yeshua died, therefore all died. And he died for all of us so that they who live might no longer live for ourselves because life's changed. I don't see for myself. I don't live for myself. Once God gets hold of me, things should be changed. He says uh, that they would no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, verse uh, 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one the way we once did. Once you become a believer, you see things different. Even though we knew Messiah once, according to the flesh, I knew what I thought of him. I had my ideas about him, but I didn't know him. I didn't know what he was really like. I knew him no longer that way. Now I know him no longer that way. Therefore, if any man is in the Messiah, you're new. All things are changed. 
All things are new. What I'm trying to get at is as John saw Yeshua, as we see Yeshua, everything changes, folks. Everything. And that's how the book begins, with a vision of God. We know him. And so we're going to see something strange in this vision. So, write it in. Seeing and knowing Yeshua. And that means, like for me, on January... Okay, Now, you don't want to just spit that out quick ahead of everyone to show that you know it. You want to see it in unity. So everybody knows that Larry was saved January 15th, 1972. After that moment, everything was changed. I saw things. I saw him. I know him. Not of him. I know him. I have a relationship with Yeshua. And it says, the seeing and knowing who Yeshua is, therefore, I like to put therefore, we are sent by him to give forth his word. Yeshua saves you. I'm going to say for a couple things. I could make it more theological. But he saves you really, one, to glorify himself. And two, to get the word out. He wants you to tell the people of him and the message of salvation. So you get to see him as John did. And everyone, look up here now. John saw the vision, and because he saw the vision and learned all about him, he reveals all things. Because now we know. Because Yeshua is the one who opens your eyes. There is nothing that could open your eyes except the Father who tells you about the Son, and the Son who tells you about the Father and all of life. So we give forth his word. So follow along with me in this chapter, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, um, the very beginning part of it. As God's children, fill it in. As God's children who see things differently, as God's children, we are sent. Everyone, you're looking up here and you see me. And you might say to someone, Larry is definitely sent. I am. Everywhere I go, God sent me. When I go to Israel, I'm sitting in a restaurant, talking to the waiter, we start sharing our faith. Uh, wherever we go, that's what we do. Because God has saved me I'm going to bypass the first one to glorify him. He's saved me so I will tell the world about him. You all are his children. Hopefully. Not everyone. But if you're his children, you've accepted him, you have been sent by God. Not necessarily to get up here and preach. I understand that might be a little nerve-wracking for a few of you. But you are sent with a special message. You're supposed... Listen. You're not to live your life for yourselves anymore. You're not to live the life for your own pleasures anymore. You are sent to live your life for Him. Say, wait a second, I have plans. Well, forget them. You're supposed to commit them to God. Oh, what if His plans are different than mine? Then you're in trouble. (laughs) I don't want my own plans, folks. I really don't. He's got a better plan. So it's good to know you're sent. You are all sent by him. So, oh boy, I'm in trouble. As God's children, we're sent. God sends us in spite of life and difficulties and circumstances. You're not supposed to say, well, when I get my life and act together, then I'll go. Wrong. You don't wait. If you're saved, you're sent. You don't wait for everything to get good. In fact, I find that God doesn't always use us and send us when we're feeling good and comfortable. I, a lot of times God asked me to do things. I said, now? You couldn't wait till next week or a month from now? You couldn't get my life in order? You got to do it now when I have all these problems? God loves to do that. 
Because if you do what he says, he'll take care of the problems. So, as God's children were sent, and first thing, fill it in. Through life's circumstances, through life's circumstances, we should hear from God. When you go through the difficulties, you go through the uncertainties, good, the bad, the indifferent, good, the bad, the ugly. I like to quote things. Anyway, when you go through those things, that's when you got to hear his voice. That's when God will speak to you. Sometimes in a whisper. He doesn't speak and reveal things when they're easy. But many times when they're dark and tough and difficult. But listen. Listen to the voice. He's speaking even when things are difficult. When Elijah thought Jezebel was out to kill him and everyone in Israel was out to kill him, Elijah fled and ran. He was scared of his life. He, he had killed the false prophets, but now the whole Jezebel said, I'm going to make your life like one of them tomorrow. You're dead. And the great Elijah, what did he do? Everyone tell me. He ran. He was scared of the woman. And he ran to Beersheba. Then he ran to Mount Sinai. And he hid in a cave all by himself. And while he's there, God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? You belong back there. God speaks to us when things are difficult, folks. And so we see God through the circumstances. Follow. Now we get the idea, the background. John, he's writing. I told you already, he's writing from an island. And John is writing a letter. It says, as we're going to find out, to the seven congregations in Asia Minor. But you have to understand, there's other congregations. John picked these maybe as a representative of all congregations that time and throughout the last 2,000 years. John wrote to these congregations maybe because he was familiar with all these congregations. He was, and I'll explain that. So John writes a letter to these people, and he says, John, you're going to forgive me because you can hear me already. Thank you, Mel. Okay. I don't like drinking. You know, you ever see those preachers have a cup? I don't like that. I feel very self-conscious. So everyone right now, turn to your right or left. You didn't turn. Turn so I can do it again. I can't stand when preachers do that. Revelation 1.9. I, John, your brother. I like that. Because John wrote other... John wrote the book of John. John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And you know how John refers to himself? John the Apostle. He's a leader. The others all died. He continued. He's the elder. He's the age. He's the older one. He's the leader of all, the whole body of Messiah for the first hundred years before he dies. John is an important person. He's the one Yeshua loved. He sat by the side of the Lord during uh, the Passover. John is important. And he said at other times that he's an apostle. Not here. Because he's coming down on our level. And he says, John, I, John, your brother, we're all the same. I love when people come, Larry, what what do you want me to call you? Pastor? Rabbi? I said, No. He said, what do you want me to call you? I said, well, my name is Larry. I like Larry. They said, do you want Lawrence? I said, please, never Lawrence. That's not my name. You're sitting there. Birth certificate, Larry. Anyway, that's my name. That's what we are. We're all the same, folks. 
Same struggles, same temptations, same difficulties, no different. What's different is I'm allowed to study the Bible more than you. You should all be studying it every day, but I do it more. That's what God has asked me to do. I, John, your brother, all the same, all the apostles, all the early disciples, we're all the same. And so John is saying that, I, your brother, and fellow partaker, we partake of everything together. It's all the same, like I said. You and I, everything. I'm no different than anyone here. No, no different. I struggle with the same bills, finances, taxes, temptations, problems. We are all the same. Fellow partakers. That's what John is trying to tell them. So I'm writing to you, congregations, you believers in Messiah, because I'm the same as you, fellow partaker. In the tribulation. What tribulation? We got through tribulation. I wrote down four. You could write down four things. We all go through the same general tribulation, difficulties of life. All of us. Most of us all here have cars. Tribulation. We have tribulation. We have natural tribulation and disasters and sicknesses and problems with our family and children and husbands and what. I, your fellow, one of the fellow, what partaker of the tribulation, general tribulations, the tribulations that God allows in your life. Every tribulation you have, you know, you don't have to have. God can take it away, but God wants you to have it. And he wants to develop something through it. He allows it. God sends tribulation in our lives. You know, now there's other tribulations. There's the ones that God just doesn't send, but they're just the, the natural ones that God uses to discipline our lives through tribulation. Because that's how we're disciplined, through that and perseverance. So I'm your fellow partaker of these tribulations. The tribulations of persecution. Believers are persecuted. We do not have a persecution complex. You might, but we are persecuted. It's just a fact of life. Hopefully you're persecuted for Yeshua. Because that's what we're supposed to be persecuted for. Look what he says. I'm your fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom. Quick theological. You've got to learn quick theology here. The kingdom is coming. The future messianic millennial future kingdom, it's coming, and we're part of it. If you're a believer, we're coming, we're going to have that kingdom. You want to know something? Don't get it wrong theologically. The kingdom also in the future where Yeshua reigns from Jerusalem, us with him, it's coming, it's also here now. Some people don't like that. It is. We do get part of those spiritual blessings of a present day kingdom. He's not here on the earth. It's not replacing the future kingdom. But the kingdom did begin when Yeshua came. And we have spiritual blessings and part of that kingdom today for Jews and Gentiles. So in a sense, we are in a taste of the kingdom. But we're not there yet. And it's not replacing anything. Very important that you remember that. So the kingdom uh, and the perseverance. Yeshua persevered. We know Job persevered. We know all Paul and Peter and all them persevered. Same perseverance. We're all the same. And that's what John is saying. Perseverance in these things. Uh, he says, which are in Yeshua. John 16. These things I've written to you or spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world. You have trouble. All of us. But take courage. I've overcome the world. Yeshua overcome. Believers, 
We're in the world. We're going to overcome it. John says in one nine, chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother, fellow partaker, or partaker of the tribulation, the kingdom, the perseverance, which are all in Yeshua. I was on the island called Patmos. And then raise your hand if you know about Patmos. Anybody? Good. A couple of you know. No, you've heard it. Do you know about Patmos? Okay. Yeah, you have to know. Patmos was a little like Devil's Island. Patmos was a barren rock. Patmos is off of Crete. Patmos was a penal colony for, for criminals. Patmos was scary. And what was John, the great messenger of the Lord, doing on Patmos? Very quickly, just so you know, it's a small rocky forbidden island off of the Crete. It's about 10 by 16 miles. Not big. And it was used for punishment of criminals. John was exiled by the emperor called Domitian. Domitian. He reigned from about 81 to 96. So somewhere around there, Domitian sent the apostle John, my fellow partaker in tribulation, kingdom, perseverance. He sent good John to the island of Patmos. What did he do, this poor man, John? What criminal action did he do? But the emperor sent John away. Uh, He was forced to labor, break rocks, horrible, in mines. John, getting up there in years, dying, getting old and dying, was forced to, to work in mines until about 96. And the reason in the year 96 he was released, Domitian died. Hallelujah. Yeah, it was good. He was bad. He persecuted believers. So they released John. And John was set free. And he came back to where his main ministry was, which was in Asia Minor, among those seven congregations in Asia Minor, probably, uh, probably the town of Ephesus. He had no friends on the island, no fellowship. He was alone, deserted, bleak, nothing. That's when God speaks. When it's all bleak and there's nothing. When he's alone. God was able to, to speak to him and have John hear God's voice and see his presence. And I have found in life that's many, many times when God speaks to us. When it's dark. When Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before the Jewish people, it was dark and he had nothing. He was just taking care of it. God spoke. When Davis was, da- Davis, when David was running from King Saul. He was, David was the anointed next king of Israel. And he has to flee because Saul and all of Israel was running from him. And he went into the caves. And he ran with his men for their very life. And David's alone at night. He might have cried and wept and been upset that the whole world was trying to kill him. That's when God spoke to him. And he wrote the Psalms. God speaks to you in the darkness, folks, when things are bad. God speaks to Paul, Rabbi Saul, when he's in prison, about to have his life taken away from him. God speaks to Peter as he's arrested. God spoke to me all the time, but mostly when it was dark and it was difficult. When I had the darkest moments of my life, that's when God spoke to me the most. And this is trying to tell us, I think, when it's dark and dismal and bleak and lonely and you're going through struggle, listen to the voice of God. John is saying, I was alone. And he came to me. 
Listen, you can go through anything if God is speaking to you. I, I've always just, I'm just making an assumption here. When Stephen was being stoned, I'm not sure he felt the stones. I'm really not sure he felt the stones. Because if you're looking up and you see Yeshua smiling and say, you imagine Yeshua? Come, come, come. It doesn't matter what anyone's doing. Come, let's come. Because when in the darkness, if God's speaking to you, that's when you're going to be blessed in our darkest hours. Look, it's, he was in the island of Patmos because, the now it tells us why he was being punished. Because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Yeshua. That's when you should and expect and hope you're suffering for the word of God and telling people about Yeshua. That's the best time. When the apostles and the disciples were beaten and scourged and beaten, uh, whipped or whatever it was, it said, it says that they had rejoiced that they'd been able to be suffered for Yeshua's sake. He was punished because he told people about Yeshua. If you tell people about Yeshua, watch out. It's going to happen. You're going to be looked at as weird, backward, brainwashed. Forget the word, stupid. All kinds of things. Because of the word of God in Yeshua. What do you know? It tells us, John 15. If the world hates you, get ready. Because you know that it hated me first. John 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 5. Blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for Yeshua. For theirs is, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Say all kinds of things against you, evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. You are supposed to suffer and be persecuted for your faith in Yeshua. It's worth it. It's a joy. Rejoice and be glad. For in the same way, they were persecuted the prophets who were before you, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those prophets, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, they're all persecuted for their sake. Timothy, 2 Timothy. Now, you follow my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith and patience and love and perseverance and per. You'll suffer my persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch. And that's, he's just recounting the book of Acts. Iconium, Lystra, all, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, God rescued me. Indeed, all of you who desire to live godly in, in Messiah Yeshua, and for the word of God, and testimony of Yeshua, you shall expect what? Read it. Persecution. I, John, was on the island, and God spoke to me. First Peter, look what Peter says. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes among you, which comes upon you for your testing. We will not be tested and suffer, I don't think, like them. Peter crucified upside down. Other of them shot through with arrows. Other them pierced with lances. All the skin poured out, taken off their body. Heads chopped off. These guys suffered. We're afraid that someone might call you a name and make fun of you. These people suffer. Don't be surprised. The strange thing that's coming upon you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Messiah, keep on rejoicing if you suffer for Yeshua, not for yourself and your personality. So that also at the revelation of God's glory, His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Messiah, you are blessed because the Spirit of God and glory, the spirit of glory in God rests on you. First Peter 4.15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler, a gossip, and whatever. 
Don't suffer for silly things. Let's suffer for the real things. If anyone suffers as a believer, he is not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in his name. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God, entrust yourselves, your souls, to a faithful creator doing what is right. John chapter 1. I, your fellow worker, I was suffering in Patmos. Verse 9. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Yeshua. Now he says an interesting verse in chapter 10 that everyone gets wrong. Okay. They really do. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that John was sitting in the congregation on Sunday morning and the spirit of God spoke to him. That's not what it means. But everyone naturally, I was in the spirit. That's good. On the Lord's day, Sunday. It's not what he's saying. The passage really is saying, I was in an ecstasy. Okay, Ezekiel, God spoke to him, he fell on his face. Paul, God spoke to him. Peter, God spoke to him. They were in an ecstatic moment when the power of God came upon them in a powerful way. Much like Isaiah and Jeremiah, when God's spirit came upon them. Now you just sit and you're saying, I feel good and it's Sunday, it's Shabbat, it's good. No, no, he's not saying. He's saying, remember I'm on Patmos, I'm suffering, I'm in the mines, breaking rocks. God speaks to me and laid me out flat. God's hand came upon me in a powerful way. And the phrase on the Lord's day is not Sunday. There's a phrase in the Bible that says the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is anywhere from the beginning of the tribulation through those seven years, through the next thousand years, the millennial kingdom. The day of the Lord is the time of tribulation through the millennial kingdom. That's God's day. And I was in the spirit. While I was on the rock, while I was in the mines, while I was there, God laid me out and he spoke to me and he advanced me and gave me a vision and he took me to the day of the Lord. And I saw the end times. That's what he's saying. It was a powerful moment. We see it in Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says, As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me, set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking. The Spirit came upon him in an ecstatic way. Ezekiel 3.12, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed, uh, blessed be the glory of the Lord in this place. Peter on the roof, praying in Joppa, All of a sudden, the sheet came down. Peter got it. And the Spirit of God spoke to him. Paul on the road of Damascus. The Spirit of God. You know what Paul says in one of his letters? He goes, God spoke to me, and he took me to the third heaven. Now, we don't know if he died, and God revived him later. But God took Paul, whether his body or spirit. He even says, I don't know. I was there though. I don't know if it was in body or spirit or whatever, but I got up to the third heaven and I saw God. And he spoke to me. And you know what Paul says? I can't even tell you what he spoke to me because I'm not allowed to tell you. He was in this moment when the spirit, that's what John is saying. God was speaking to him in a tremendous time. God speaks to us, is what John is saying, in difficult times, follow along. We are, when he speaks to us, we're to share God's message with the world. When God speaks to you, you got to tell it. You know, we all are such gossips, aren't we? We really are. When you get juicy news, 
We all get juicy news. And we want to be the first to tell it. Because we like telling juicy news. You got news. You got good news. You got the greatest news in all the world. What God has spoken to us. When we hear this good news, when I heard this good news on January 15, 1972, I had to start speaking it. I had to get it out. That's what John is doing here. The message goes to believers and non-believers. What message? Look up here. The right bubble of believers. I have to tell you believers. I have to say to believers, surrender and give your life and all to Him. That's not a message for non-believers. That's a message for believers. You are to repent, believers. Admit what you've been doing has been wrong. That you're not following and obeying Him. And God wants you to surrender everything to Him. Your wife, your children, your job, your life, every moment, you, believers, are supposed to surrender to God's will. Non-believers, non-believers, you think, I mean, not to know, we think to, to non-believers, we always tell non-believers, you have to surrender your life. Nonsense. Don't ever tell a non-believer to surrender anything. No. You have to change your life. Don't tell them to change a thing. That's the wrong message. You have to get your life and your act together. No, it's not true. Be as sinful and wicked as you are. That's not the message to believers. What's the message to believers? You have to admit you're wrong and that Yeshua died for you and he offers you salvation. Receive it. That's the message to non-believers. Receive the grace of God. Change your life. No, no, no. You change your life. You accept Yeshua. There's a difference. Accept and receive. Give and surrender. Get that clear. Don't tell non-believers to give and surrender. Admit you've done wrong and you need salvation. That's another story. We are supposed to. The message. We are supposed to give that out. We are to tell the non-believers the real message that Yeshua is the only hope. Yeshua is the only answer. Yeshua is the only one who died for your sins. Yeshua is the only one who can give you eternal life. Yeshua, listen carefully, is not like all the other prophets. Listen carefully in this day and age. Yeshua is not another prophet like Muhammad. Listen carefully. Muhammad was a wicked, wicked, perverted, sick, demented, gross, evil man. He was not a prophet. And I won't give it to him. God didn't speak to him. Satan spoke to him. And anything his people wrote down, because he didn't write the Koran, was also inspired by the devil. They taught rape and murder and mutilation and evil. Destroying everything. The religion of Islam properly followed by the Koran is a wicked, godless religion. The terrorists are following true Islam. Now your friends who might be Muslim or Islam who are nice people, they're not following true Islam. They're being nice people and they're picking and choosing. This is nice, I'll do this. This is good, I'll do Oh, I wouldn't do that evil thing. But following true, we need to speak the truth. And tell the word for what it is. 
Look what John says, 111. John says, God spoke to him on the island of Patmos when he was suffering in the spirit. God speaks to him and it says, John, write in a book what you see. That's going to be the vision in chapter 1, what he saw. Send it to the seven congregations. Seven congregations. In Ephesus, look up here. There were other congregations in Ephesus. The congregation, the whole body of all the congregations. That's like saying, send it to the congregations in Irvine. A lot of us. Send it to the congregations in Irvine, in Ephesus. Send it to the congregations in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. Well, hear about Philly. I like that one. And Laodicea. Send it to all these congregations. The representative congregations of all those in Asia. There are many others, but he's picking these for a reason. Maybe they had a character flaw. Maybe he wanted to correct something here. But his message to those seven is a message not to just those seven, just to all those congregations in the world at that time, and to all those for the next 2,000 years, and a message to us as well. It's a message to individuals in the congregation and the congregations. But he's picking these seven. So he said, speak to all those congregations. What are we supposed to tell? You know, what's our message? I'm saying we're children were sent. Here's the message. Luke 24. He said to them, these are my words, Yeshua said to them, while I spoke with you, while I was still with you, that all that's written about me in the law of Moses, <clears throat> the Torah, the prophets, the Nevi'im, uh, the Psalms, the writings, that's the Old Testament, which is called the Tanakh. Yeshua said, all the things written about me in the Jewish Old Testament Tanakh, he said, must be fulfilled. Everything. Then he opened their minds to understand the Bible. He gave them a messianic uh, Bible study. He said to them, this is what's written, that the Messiah would suffer, rise again from the dead the third day. This is your message, folks. Our message is real, real simple. Believe the good news. Yeshua died been resurrected, accept what Yeshua has done for you. Pretty simple. Over here, believers, you've already believed. Good. Surrender. Live your life for Him. Serve Him. Surrender everything to Him and let Him lead your life. That's our message. Nothing else. Go home. Okay, stay. All right. Okay? Then he opened their minds. He said, everything that's written, that is written uh, that the Messiah would suffer and rise again on the third day, Luke 24, 47, and that repentance, turning back to God, for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses, believers. John, God spoke to John. John revealed it. God speaks to us. We reveal it. What is he revealing? Everything written in the scriptures. This is what we say as believers. He's the Messiah. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin. He came before 70 CE. He would die by crucifixion. He'd be despised and rejected. He would come back. That's our message. Acts 1.8. But you will, before Yeshua went to heaven, after his death, before his resur- uh, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he says, you'll receive power from the Holy Spirit which comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses, like John. You'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Let me listen. There's no greater joy in all the world than being one of God's witnesses. Nothing. There's nothing more satisfying than sharing your faith. Scary, frightening sometimes. There's no greater joy. You'll be my witnesses. See, when he speaks to you, you've got to get it out because he sent you. 
John 20, he says to them before he is, resurrect, uh, before he is uh, ascended. And when he had said these things to them, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced that they saw the Lord. You're a disciple. Your Messiah just died a couple days ago. All of a sudden, you see him on the shores of the Galilee. And he's got locks and bagels and a good breakfast for you. And you're sitting there with him. He goes, oh, you don't believe it's me? He said, look. Pierce Marks, look. It's me. You got to rejoice. Just imagine someone you love died. And then the next day, they're talking to you again. Well, either you're nuts or, you know, something's happened. But Yeshua did. He's talking to them. And he says, so Yeshua said to them, peace, shalom. Uh, be at uh, peace with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. So God has sent us to be his children, to send his word. Look with me. As God's children, I just said before, as God's children, we are sent by God with his message. But now, as God's children, I really like this section in, in Revelation 1. As God's children, we know and understand who Yeshua is. I like this. As I thought about it, as I pondered about it, as I think, as I, I have the joy of thinking about this all week. I've had the joy of thinking about this a few weeks. As God's children, I, we, it says, we know and understand who Yeshua is. Well, you say, wait a second. Doesn't everybody know and understand who Yeshua is? Look up here. Matthew 16. We're not going there. Matthew 16. We go up to Banyas. We go up to Caesarea Philippi on our trip. It's really nice up in the Golan Heights. It's beautiful. The water's coming down from Mount Carmel. Uh, not Mount Carmel. Mount um, Hermon. Water's coming down through the mountain, bubbling out. We're able to drink the water. It's so clear. It's, it's an incredible sight way up there in Caesarea Philippi. And you're up there, and that's where Yeshua took the disciples. And Yeshua said to the disciples, who do men, pe- who do men and people say that I am? And Peter answered. Peter said, well, some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. They say everything about you. That's the world's view. They don't know. You ask anyone in the world today, who is Yeshua? It's amazing the answers you'll get. It's absolutely incredible. Who is Yeshua? They'll tell you he's a prophet, good man. I don't know how many will say he's God, but they will say a charismatic figure, a great king, a great leader. Some, a charlatan, a liar, a hypocrite, a phony. The world has so many answers for this. Then Yeshua says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, Peter gave the right answer. And the real, you want to extend that answer? Write this down. I'll tell you who Yeshua is that you and I know. He is a prophet, the prophet. He is the king to come. He is the priest like Melchizedek. He is the Messiah for the world. He is the Savior, Deliverer from your sins and all the world, your atonement. And ultimately, He is God in the flesh. I love that section. You know why? Because Yeshua basically says to Peter, You did good, Peter. You answered right. Do you know how you know that, Peter? It's not through study. It's not through prayer. It's not through any of that. Peter, do you know how you know all that about me? You and I, do I, do I know how? I know that Yeshua is the prophet, priest, king, God, Messiah, and Savior. Do I know how? Sure I know how that is. You know why? Because God in heaven, the Father, one day opened my eyes. 
Did I have to study the Bible? No. Did I have to pray? No. Did I have to do all kinds of weird, strange things? No. I may have, and God could have used it. How do I know? And everyone tell me. Great. Good answer. Okay. God in heaven spoke to Larry on earth, and he told me, Yeshua is the Messiah, King, Prophet, Priest, God, and Savior. God revealed that to me. That's how I know. Fill it in. God speaks his word to us. God speaks his word to us. Revelation 1.12. I like this. Now we all get the picture. John's He's hitting those rocks in the mine. He's suffering. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes upon him and shakes him up. Nobody else has to know because God can speak to you and shake you up with no one around you even knowing what's going on. But God's Spirit speaks to him. And so John says, he told us before, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Look what God says uh, to him here. Then I turned. I turned and the voice that was speaking to me I don't know who that voice was. We do, and he did, eventually. But a voice spoke to me. Who was his voice? And so I turned, and what did I see? I saw the seven-branch menorah in the temple of God, where God dwells. I saw a golden vision, golden lampstand. What is that lampstand? Why? Well, he knew. And they know back then, that's the lampstand that was in the temple. That's the light of the world. You lit the seven branches and you were trying to tell us that God in the temple was the light of the world. And God's light came through the seven branch menorah. And John turned. It's a strange thing to say, but he says, he turned and he says, I saw the seven golden lampstands. No, in the temple there was one golden lamp, seven branches. Three here, three here, one in the middle. John saw one, two, three, Four, five, six, seven. I just said to myself, when should I stop? I figured I'd do all seven. But anyway, he saw seven. Seven lampstands. And we find out what all seven mean, but they're God's light. They're God's witness. They're God's testimony. So John saw something, but look what it says. The voice, I turned, and and I saw seven lampstands. God speaks to him on that place. God spoke to Adam. God loves to speak to us, folks. He does. Believers who are discouraged and you don't think you hear from God, that's because you're not spending time with Him. That's because you're not reading the Word. That's because you're not praying. That's because you're not obeying Him. That's because you're not worshiping Him properly. We as believers live our own life and do our own thing and say, God, can you stamp it? It's so wrong. We've got to live His life. And do what he says. And then he will guide and direct us. So John was there and he turned. He saw seven lampstands, which one of them was in the the temple. But he saw seven of these. And God was speaking. God speaks to, I said, Adam. I wrote down here. He speaks to, he spoke, God spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Daniel. And uh, the prophets. God spoke to the apostles. I don't say this bad. God speaks to me. He speaks to all of you, hopefully. It's available to you. He likes to speak to all of us. As I said before, I got a kick. God spoke to Michael Brown. 
When I hear their testimonies, I smile. Because when I hear Michael Brown making everyone laugh and think about it, I say, it's always the same. I always hear the same thing. God spoke to Michael Brown, Michael Radelnik, Mitch Glazer, Jonathan Burness. I'm saying that because of my, our latest conference. He, spoke to me. he speaks to all of us. And many times similar and many times different. But it's God speaking to us. He spoke to all of us. And this vision of something that took place in the temple, seven branch menorah. Now he saw seven of them which was symbolic of the light that comes from God. It was gold, which speaks of God's deity and his glory. It speaks of the oil, the Holy Spirit. Matthew says this, The disciples came to Yeshua and said to him, Why do you speak to us in parables? Why, Yeshua, aren't you clearer? You see, God spoke to John and us, but Yeshua doesn't always speak clearly. Do you find that? He doesn't always speak clearly. And the Bible tells us, God speaks to us, in parables. Lord, why can't you make it simple? He doesn't. Sometimes it's simple. If God says, read the Bible, pretty simple. It's not a parable. But he does speak to us in parables for two reasons. Two reasons. I like this one. One, he likes to make known his mystery to believers. We have a special club Good, good message, Larry. Thank you. Okay. I'm not finished. Okay. <laughs> it might get worse. Anyway, where was it? Oh, God speaks to I'm confused now. Look at an outline, which I hate. Okay, go. Oh, yeah. He speaks to us in mysteries. And you know what? He tells you those mysteries. But to the non-believers, he's not telling them. Why won't he tell them? They don't want to know. You want to know? He'll reveal it. He speaks to his children in mysteries and he keeps the non-believers out because they don't want to know. If they want to know, you know what he'll do? Great. He'll reveal it to them if they truly want to know. And it says it in the parable here. Why do you speak to us in parables? Yeshua answered. Because to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. You can know it. Uh, chapter 10, verse 13. Next slide, next slide. Forget all this. Good. Therefore, he said, I speak to them in parables because while they see, uh, while seeing, they do not see and while hearing, they don't understand. They don't understand. They don't hear. They don't understand. That's why he reveals things in mysteries. Luke 8. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. He gave a parable. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who heard. The devil comes, takes away the word from their heart so that they might not believe. They don't want to believe and the devil deceives them. For us, it is known. God speaks to us. Let me tell you who speaks to us. I, I like this. I told you on purpose this point. A, did you fill it in? God speaks to us. Now let me tell you who it is. B, Yeshua is he who's speaking to you. I said, Larry, I thought you said God speaks to me. The Father. No, no. Yeshua speaks to you. Everyone look up here. Theology. Here we go. Theology one. When God speaks to you, he uses Yeshua to speak to you. That's how God reveals himself. It's always that way in the scriptures. You want to get a glimpse and vision of God? One of the disciples said, Yeshua, just show me God. I'll be real happy. I'll be able to live my life. Just give me a vision of God. And you know what Yeshua said to them. Have I been so long with you that you don't know me? 
No, 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 Yeshua. I want to see the Father. You don't need to. You look to me and you'll learn about God. So this point is Yeshua is the one who speaks to the people. And I wrote it down. In the cool of the garden in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam was speaking to God, who was that? Yeshua. That's God how he reveals himself to mankind through the Son. When God said to Noah, Noah, build an ark. Who was that? Yeshua. Yeshua spoke to him. Abraham is in his tent. And three come to him. It says three men. Because they appeared as men. It says three men came to him. And Abraham said, stay. Sarah's going to build a nice, make a real nice meal. Goats and sheep and milk and milk and meat together. We're not going. Anyway. Uh, and God said, yeah, it's a good one, folks. You want to keep biblical kosher? That's up to you. But don't, you don't have to keep. You can keep rabbinic kosher. Rabbinic kosher is what the rabbis have made up. Milk and meat, according to Genesis 18, Abraham served these three strangers milk and meat. Two of them we know were angels because they went on to Sodom and Gomorrah and called down fire and brimstone. The other one, it says, Abraham stood before. The angel of the Lord, God himself. That was Yeshua. And Yeshua ate milk and meat. Sorry to tell you that. (laughs) Now you're going to tell me, it's not good for the digestion. I understand. Okay, I'm not going to go there. It was Yeshua that spoke to them. Jacob. Remember Jacob wrestled with a man out of nowhere. Who was Jacob wrestling with? Yeshua. I mean, Yeshua allowed him to wrestle. It's sort of like, you know, when I used to allow my girls, Rachel and Becca, to wrestle with me at night after dinner. It was fun. They would, we'd wrestle. But I had all power in relation to them. I had all power. The angel wrestled with Yeshua, who was the angel wrestled with Jacob. He said, oh, it's enough. Touch his, uh, his hip. It was over. Dislocated it. But it was over. It was Yeshua. Daniel. In the petting zoo. I always imagine. You sitting next to that lion. There's teeth coming down. And then the tongue comes out. And Daniel's next to that lion. Who's next to him protecting him? Yeshua. In the furnace. The nice sauna. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in and goes... We, th- we threw three in there. Who's the fourth? He looks different than all the others. It's Yeshua. He brought the air conditioner. <laughs> they were cool. And Yeshua opened up and said, it's me. Our scriptures speak about me. Who speaks to us? It's Yeshua. Moses goes up Mount Sinai. sees a bush burning. And out of the bush... Moses. Who's speaking to Moses? It's Yeshua. Uh, Belshazzar having a big party. All of a sudden he looks up on the wall. He's a hand writing. He saw the hand of Yeshua. 
That's who speaks to us. Yeshua speaks to us. Revelation 1. Look what John says. In the middle of the lampstands. Remember what he just saw? A lampstand, a menorah, seven branch. He saw another one. He saw, an, he saw all seven. In the middle of those seven congregations, in the middle of those representative congregations of all the believers and churches and congregations in all the world, in the middle of all those congregations that represent all believers in all ages and all the congregations in us today, look what he saw. In the middle of the lamps, I saw one like a son of man, Yeshua, walking between all of us. The word son of man is a loaded term, and I'll just tell you, when you study it, it has to do with he's man of all men humanity. It speaks of his Messiah, messianic nature. It speaks that he's the judge of all the earth. Later on, we will see when it says son of man, contrary to what a lot of people think, it's not just saying he is the perfect man. The son of man is actually a phrase to mean that he's also God. Very strange. So John sees this uh, middle of the lambs. I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe. The robe spoke of judgment the great ultimate king and judge. It spoke of the great priest. It spoke of an Aaron dressed. It says for beauty and for honor and glory. It speaks of rank and dignity. And I saw one in the middle of all the believers dressed in a certain way with a robe. He's the king. He's the ultimate priest. And he says, I saw one dressed in a robe to his feet, girded across his chest a golden girdle. The girdle again in the midst of them was the girdle of the high priest representing the people before God. And John says, I kept on looking. And you got to understand, this vision that John saw, it's in the Old Covenant. And it speaks of God the Father. But here, John is telling us, the vision is Yeshua the Messiah. But wait a second, I thought it's God the Father. Maybe they're one and the same. Not the exact same. But maybe they're both God with the same God nature. And God, maybe they're both. And the Son of Man is God. Not the Father. He's God. Everyone's confused. The Father is God, folks. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. You say, don't you believe in three gods? No, one. Larry, I don't get your math. One God, one God, one God. Makes one? Yes. How do you get that? And I say, I don't know. But that's what the Bible teaches. Here, the vision. And it says, John saw. He said, I saw this one like a son of man. His head, was like, uh, his head and his hair were white like wool. The whiteness speaks of antiquity, ancient of days, longevity, purity, like the Father, and deity. It spoke of something majestic. His head was white. His hair. His eyes were a flame of fire. The idea of the eyes was piercing through. The eyes penetrating everything. It was fierce and immense and searching all people for righteousness and divine judgment. So his eyes were different than everyone else's. His eyes saw through me. His eyes looked for something unique. This is the beauty, folks, of this. This is the Father. This is the Son who's being revealed to us. His eyes were special. His feet, feet were burnished bronze. The feet standing of divine judgment, standing in the midst of all the congregations, standing for moral, moral purity and righteousness. The feet was pure. And he says, I saw the feet 
Then he says, and they were glowing in a furnace, like a furnace. And his voice, this is the voice of God, was like the sound of many waters, loud, thunder, paying attention to. Listen, when John heard the voice, you know what it reminded him of? Does anyone know? Say it if you know it. Say it if you can figure it out. That voice of thunder and lightning. And when? Can anyone think of when that time might be? Sinai. The voice of God spoke from heaven. And this son of man is God. His voice from heaven. Like the sound of many waters. And it refers us back, and you should know this, to Daniel chapter 7. When Daniel said, I looked until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days, the Father. Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and his hair was the uh, <clears throat> hair uh, of his head like pure wool. This is Yeshua's vision. So in other words, Larry, are you trying to tell me the Son is just like the Father? Yes, I am. He is not the Father, but he is like the Father. Same one, same God. And he said his hair was like pure wool. His throne was a blaze of fire. The Father in Daniel 7. His wheels were like a burning fire. Could be the idea of the Spirit of God. I kept looking in the night vision and behold the clouds and the clouds. One like a son of man coming. So in Daniel he's saying I saw a vision of God. And while I saw the vision of God, all of a sudden I saw a son of man. Was he just a man? Was he divine? Was he a Messiah? Or was he God also? I saw a son of man coming. And he came to the, up to the Father, the Ancient of Days, and was presented before the Father. It's a vision to show us who he is. And to him was given, the, the Son, dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion's an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His body was like burl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and feet the gleam, gleam of burning, burnished bronze. And the sound of waters was like the sound of a tumult. This son of man is God. Just like the Father. And you see what John's telling us in John 1? This son of man, who the whole book is telling us about. The Father revealed it to the Son. The Son is revealing it to us. Yeshua is telling us, I'm just like the Father. I am God. And I am sending you, John, you, people, you, Shuva, his arms and his feet like a gleam of polished bronze. The sound of waters is like the sound of a tumult. Revelation 1.16, he says, and in his right hand. The picture in the Bible, very clear, we don't have to guess. The right hand spoke of protection. It spoke of authority. It spoke of security. It spoke of God's sovereignty. It spoke of God's control. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. It speaks of possession control, authority. That's the beauty and most people get wrong in John 10. When some of you say you can lose your salvation, some of you do. I love you. You're wrong. You can't lose it, folks. Well, what if I do bad? You have the seed, imperishable seed in you. You've been given eternal life. The Messiah has given it to you. And it says you shall never perish. And you know what it says then? 
I hold you in my hand. That means you're safe forever. Don't look at me and say, what if I jump out? You can't jump out. When my kids used to try to open my hand to get the penny, they couldn't open the hand. It was impossible. You can't get out of Yeshua's hand. Then in that John 10, he says, not only am I holding you in my hand, but the Father holds you in his hand. You're double secure, folks. You can't lose it. And here he says, I saw his right hand, the seven stars. I'll tell you who the seven, well, let me tell you now who the seven stars are, okay? The seven stars in John, it makes it clear. Well, not so clear, a couple of views. One, seven angels. Could be. Stars are many times angels. Could be the seven angels. I don't think so. Not in this context. The, the word for angels means God's messenger. So, could be seven angels. Don't think so. Some people said seven messianic rabbis or pastors. Could be. That's closer. I don't think so. I think they were still in their congregation. I think these were seven important people in the congregation, men of influence, who were sent from their congregations to Patmos to encourage John. They were seven men. They were going to come back with John's message and give it to their congregations. So I think Yeshua is saying, I'm holding these seven men. They're safe. They're secure. And it says the seven stars. They had rank. They had authority. And then it goes on. Um, and out of his mouth came a sharp sword. The sword usually is the sword of God's word for truth. Severity of God's word and judgment. I do like this because you do see this and we're not going to have time. But when God sends forth his word, folks, look up here. When God sends forth his word to us, it's comforting. It's a blessing. It's a joy. When God sends forth his word to these people, look out. It's scary. It's judgment. You turn. In his hand, he had the seven stars. The sword, the word of God came forth. And it says it was he, his face was shining, uh, shining uh, like sun, shining in its strength. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, he's with some people. What happened? All of a sudden, the sun shone and Paul fell on his horse. God revealed himself. When Peter and Jacob and John went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they looked at Yeshua and all of a sudden he appeared as the King of Glory. They fell on their face, shining. This is the picture. And John sees all this. And he saw Yeshua in his full glory. It's all about Yeshua. That's what John is trying to tell us. He is with us and he speaks to us. And finally, last, write it in. God's children, as God's children, we've been sent by God. We've been sent by God. Now I'm going to take a quick sidetrack if some of you can see. Look back up there and you see where you normally see the clock. It's not there today. So that controls me somewhat. Uh Uh-oh, trouble. Okay, so that's my excuse. I had to give it to you ahead of time. So as God's children, we've been sent by Yeshua. Yeshua comforts us. Yeshua reveals himself. But the amazing thing is he comforts us. When he appears, John, uh, Revelation 1.17, John saw this vision. We started today that God spoke to John on the island of Patmos, and he gave him a vision in the midst of his uh, suffering 
And he glorified himself. And he says, I want you to give your message to everybody else. And then in a sense, Yeshua was saying, now let me show you who I really am. You get a picture of who, you, who I am. And so John saw him. And what do you do when Yeshua speaks to you? You fall on your face. When Yeshua reveals himself and in his power and glory, you only can see his holiness and your sinfulness. You fall on your face before him. Happened to John. And it says 117. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Like Manoah, when God spoke to him about Samson. When God speaks to Ezekiel, he falls on his face. Daniel said, I was so weary, I couldn't even stand. He falls on his face. Matthew 17, six days later, Yeshua appeared to Peter and Jacob and John, led them up to the mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments as white uh, as light. While I was speaking to them, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face before him on the ground, and they were terrified. When God speaks, you're terrified when God reveals who you are. But there's, there's a beautiful thing. They all fell. Job said the same thing. I've heard of you before by the hearing of my ear. Now my eyes see. Therefore I repent. I retract. I fall apart in dust and ashes. Isaiah says, whoa. Oh, woe is me. I thought I was okay. Whoa is me. I'm a mess. Unclean lips. Luke, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and he was gripped with fear. When Simon Peter saw him, he fell down at his feet, saying, go away from me. What did he say? I am a sinful man. Revelation 1.17. When John saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And look what Yeshua does. Placed his hand on us. And Yeshua says, it's okay. Be at peace. Be comforted. God loves you. He'll reveal himself to you. And he'll deal with you, but he loves you. There's assurance and peace and comfort. John 14, Yeshua says, don't, be, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Pretty heavy statement, Yeshua said. Yeshua says, peace I'm going to leave with you. My peace I give you. Not like the world gives peace, because the world can't give you peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Revelation 1.18, Yeshua says, I am the living one. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. I'm the eternal one. I have all power and I love you. Be comforted. I am sending you forth. Micah 5.2. Very interesting verse about Yeshua. You, Bethlehem, you're too little. Be among the clans of Judah. One from you, one's going to go forth from, from Bethlehem to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. I'm the living one. Yeshua always existed. Yeshua has no beginning. Larry, I thought he was born in Bethlehem. Yes, he was, but he always existed. Well, you mean when God created him? No, I don't. He always existed. He has no beginning and no end. Well, there has to be a beginning. You and I don't know if that, that there is no such thing. We can only think that way. We can't think that there was never a time when there was nothing. Yeshua always existed. He's the living one. He's from the days of eternity. Isaiah 9, 6. A child's going to be born to you. A son will be given to you. The government's going to rest on his shoulders. His name's going to be Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Father of Eternity. He always existed. 
Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead. Incredible. Yeshua is telling us, I died. Whatever that might mean. Separated from the Father? Don't know. Became sin for the world? I'm not sure. Dead is separation. We don't know. It's a heavy statement. But I was dead. Behold, I'm alive forever. You and me, John. You and me, people. We live forever. Go tell them. Go tell them the message of hope. We're the only ones who have it. Only believers. I'm alive forevermore. I have the the keys of death in Hades. Let me put it this way. The word Hades is confusing. Because when everyone dies, everyone dies, Old New Testament, you go to a place called Hades, which is, I'm not talking purgatory, it's a place of waiting. Don't panic yet, Catholics, ex-Catholics. It's a place of waiting. What's going on in that waiting? Are we having a party? No, you're suffering misery and suffering eternal torment. Horrible, horrible torment. It is what we normally call hell. Yeshua said, I have the keys of death and hell. Now, there's also another, another hell. I know I'm confusing you. When you die and you're not a believer, you go to hell and you suffer. Now, after a thousand years when Messiah comes back, all those people suffering in hell, you know what Yeshua does? He sends them to the lake of fire, the second death. They're not redeemed. They don't get saved. Yeshua says, I have the keys of death, of the hell that we all know of now, and the hell for all eternity. I am the one who sets you free. I have the keys of death and hates. Yeshua gives us comfort who are believers. Don't fear, you're okay. And finally, Yeshua sends us with his message. He sent the message to John, verse chapter 1, verse 19. Therefore, the things which you have seen, that's what I just described, the vision of Yeshua. The things which are present, the things which are John to now, 2,000 years. Seven congregations in Asia Minor, going to start hearing about that next week. Those seven congregations represented the congregations at that time, represent believers and congregations of all time. Those seven, that's the things that are. Chapter 2 and 3. Write it down, John. You saw me. I'm showing you the things which presently are and the things which will take place after these things. Chapter 4 through the rest of the book. That's the key to the book. Many, many people say, you can't know about Revelation. It's too hard. Many people in ancient times, many pastors today, we don't have the key to open up Revelation. We have the key, folks. The key first for the whole book is Yeshua's picture in chapter 1. Present age, chapter 2 and 3. Future age, chapter 4, the rest of the book. We have the key. And Yeshua, the one who reveals all these things to us, he is the key to all that. But he is sending John. And John is speaking to the churches, the congregations. The congregations are us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all these things are from God 
who reconciled us to himself through the Messiah, and he gave you and me the ministry of reconciliation. On January 15th, 1972, without me fully understanding or knowing it, God gave Larry the ministry of reconciliation to the world. Didn't know what it was all about. Didn't know what my new job was. Didn't know how to be an ambassador for Messiah. That's when I became his messenger to reconcile the world. On January 15th, I was reconciled.